George. Hello there. I said, hello. What more do you want for crying out loud? I mean, what are you going to get? You know, I, I can't understand that. You know, come to think about a summer. It's, uh, I tell you, I'm up. Oh, you know, this this time of year, uh, oh, uh, I, I have to admit it. Do you do you agree, Al, that, that summer is your time? Oh, definitely. You know, some people don't buy that. I I see idiots running around even now. You know, with things in the back of their car that says "Think Snow." I mean, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> think slush. Uh, you know, good. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, this time of year, I just, just uh, absolutely go, go completely out of control half the time, and I just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it takes a willpower, absolutely, definitely willpower for me, not to just simply sit in the corner and fizz, uh, just because it is summer. Oh, it's, I think man is basically a tropical animal. I think he is. I, I, no, no question about it. And uh, say what you will. And have you noticed that uh, a lot of the commercials try to pretend that's otherwise? Like, they have all these air conditioning commercials come on. Now's the time for the really rotten weather to begin. Yes, the rotten, stinky, muggy, rotten weather. Oh, I love that. The hotter it gets, the better I like it. I repeat, the hotter it gets, the better I like it. And here it is. Just about the last day of June, that July is beginning. To me, July and August. Oh, these hot, steamy months. You know, uh, to, as far as I'm concerned, New York is is a uh, truly the one of the best times in New York is the summer. Practically everybody's out of town, you know, and you just walk down the street, no lights, man. You go into places like the Riviera, and you can instantly get a hamburger. Nobody's going to hassle you, you know, and you don't have to stand around. Oh, the summertime. You know, speaking of, uh, although I must admit, uh, I have at times been a victim of uh, total exuberance, which has caused me problems. Summertime, uh, this is the time of the year that I have always, traditionally, in my own personal life, gotten into trouble. Every bad news problem that's ever hit me, I'm talking about real trouble, has been in the summer. Now, nothing ever happens to me in the winter. You know, I get splashed on once in a while and stuff drops on my head, but I'm talking about the real thing. I wonder how many guys right now, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question here, who are listening to this show right this minute, driving around. It's coming out of the car radio. How many guys are going to make a disastrous move within the next two weeks just because it's warm and Windows are down. You can smell the green grass, the dancing waters, the beautiful clouds scudding across the sky. They're going to do something that they would never have conceivably done in December. And it's going to buck them the rest of their life. And what did it? What, un what, 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 what did you win? The summer. Went out to some. Have you noticed that almost all the tropical places continually have revolutions and stuff? You never hear of any revolutions in places like Finland or Sweden. You're not going to hear any. No revolutions among the Eskimos. Why? It's cold. You know, you got enough trouble just keeping whale blubber in the joint without going out and yelling and hollering and you know buying yourself a machete and blowing up the, uh, the you know the chief igloo. No, no. no. 
It's, 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 the, it's the summertime that does it. And of course, without question, the summertime also leads to other ramifications. Like uh, one day, you know, I, I was reminded of this, you know, have you, have you seen these TV commercials on that show the, the, the keys of the car in a car? And it says, uh, do not leave the keys in your car when you park it. You are putting temptation in the way of a gullible teenager who is a beautiful little creature, who is uh, the future of all mankind is in that kid. And here you are, you rotten think you're leaving the keys in your car, and uh, who knows what it's going to do to him. Point is, of course, that he is driven by forces. Obviously, it's not the kid's fault when he steals your car. It's your fault for leaving the keys in it. That's new justice. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, it is. It's a, a lot of people. Well, it's a new justice. But have you ever stolen a car? I take the fifth. You ask me, Al, directly, have I ever, and I am saying I am not going to incriminate myself. I will let the story stand for itself. It's very hard to know. See, some things are clean cut. I mean, if you walk down the street, you knock in the back window of a, of a car, climb in, uh, jump the uh, ignition and drive away, you have definitely stolen a car, right? But there are, let's say, gray areas. There are areas that are not necessarily that are not necessarily as easily defined. There are motivations that are not easily defined. I mean, one cannot simply say greed for money did it, which is explainable. One cannot say simply sex did it. That's explainable, too. There are things which go beyond both, which lie in that hazy area of the inexplicable. For example, what does the weekend do to your head? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? What does the weekend itself do to you? I mean, what is it about a weekend that drives men into, into totally irrational actions? I mean, how many people will stand in line on the Long Island Expressway in a car with 150 degree temperatures inside of the car for 17 and a half hours to get to a beach where they will also join another two and a half million people to stand around and wait in line to get the last hot dogs, which have just been sold just before he gets to the front, and uh, he will wind up back in the car and another two and a half, 14, 17 hours coming back to the same place he left. The weekend. You wouldn't do that on Wednesday. Saturday, yes. And I think that the weekend has caused more, more irrationality. It has affected us. The weekend coupled with the summer... Oh, it's a fantastically explosive situation. And, of course, America has invented the weekend. No other country in the world thinks of the weekend the way we do. In fact, the weekend, I suspect eventually American weekends could go on maybe six, seven weeks. You know, as it is now, the average weekend begins somewhat like Thursday morning. It doesn't trickle off until late Thursday, Tuesday, roughly. You agree with that, Al? But this is a trend. Do you realize what it's going to be? What it could conceivably be like in the year 2000? The weekend? Guy says, uh, I've been on my weekend. Somebody says, when did you start? He says, oh, let's see, it was uh, May 15th. Guy says, well, wait a minute, this is August 12th. He says, yeah, I won't be back until uh, November. So my weekend will be over uh, the 12th of November. I'll be back uh, in the office about 2. Give me a call then. 
Of course, you got to get me quick because you know that's just for a weekend. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, please let's let's give a salute to the American Madness, the weekend. No, bring it up big, Al, big. Oh, hooray, 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 hooray for the big old fat weekend, hooray for Saturday, hooray for Sunday, Monday and Tuesday, and the late Wednesday afternoon must be included too, hooray for the crazy weekend, hooray for all the nutty things, hooray for all the kooky things, hooray for all them long traffic jams, and all the dough and all the stuff that you're gonna spend. Hold it there, hold it there. Hold it there. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Oh, listen, I'll tell you. Though, uh, the, the reason I brought up that spot about the kid, killing, you know, stealing the car, the weekend, the, the, the hot temperature, the summer and all of it, one of the great traumatic experiences of my life, and I mean truly traumatic, I'm not, and it's a story I have never, ever told, because a true traumatic experience takes a great deal of courage to talk about. Either that or it takes a complete foolhardy attitude towards existence. <laughs> you rarely do talk about the real things that really popped you, you know, that really came out of the dark and got you a cheap shot, you know, just when you thought you was going over the goalpost. Well, before we go any further, I have a little commercial here. Let's see, it's a new one here. Oh, what is this here? It's a new commercial. It says, quote, I would, no, I can't say I. Says these people would like to tell you about a community place. It's called uh, a community country place, Kaufman and Broads Community in Lakewood, New Jersey, for people uh, who are 55 and over. This is one of these retirement places. And I'm again quoting the commercial here. It says, "You've heard about a lot of different so-called adult communities on this station and elsewhere for several years now, but never has there been one quite like a country place. They call it. It's really different." Uh, unlike so many other adult communities, uh, there's no regimented feeling like a military complex with a guardhouse that's separated and apart from the rest of the world. Do they actually have these places with guardhouses and all that? You know, guys walking around the top there with machine guns and stuff. Anyway, a country place is located in a lovely one-family residential area of Lakewood, New Jersey, and it blends right in as it ought to. It says you get the feeling when you arrive at a country place that you're driving home, not into another world. And uh, homes start at a modest $19,990, including central air conditioning and all major appliances. To visit a country place, you take the Garden State Parkway to exit 91, that's exit 91, or take Route 9 south to Lakewood and follow the signs. If you want a free brochure telling you about a country place, uh, ask for it. Just simply write to a country place, WOR New York, 10018. And uh, this note says, this is not an offering which can only be made by a formal prospectus. That's Kaufman and Broad's new country place in Lakewood. Hey, yeah, it's Portugalo time. <laughs> I got a letter from a lady who insists that I should learn to speak Portuguese, and she can't tell me why. <laughs> but it is a great place, and it's a wonderful country to visit. And if uh, you're between the ages of 26, that's under 26, and over 12, you're eligible for the Youth Fair, which is really a fantastic deal. It's $210 round trip, and uh, that ticket is good for a year. If you don't know much about Portugal, it's about time you found out about it. It is the place 
where all the European kids go on their summer vacations, and you know why. Unbelievable beaches, just a beautiful country. The prices are low, the food is great, and, you know, it's just a real nice place. Call your travel agent, or TAP, it's the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, at 421-8500 for complete information about their $210 youth fair for Portugal. Oh, man. Over the past 32 years, Newsday, the Long Island newspaper, has become one of the great success stories in publishing history. Recently, we started a Sunday edition. And what Newsday has done so well six days a week, we're now doing just as well on Sunday. For example, our coverage of sports. I'm Ed Comerford, sports columnist of Newsday. When we started our Sunday edition, we felt there was an opportunity to do something new and exciting in sports. For example, we doubled the size of our Sunday sports section. This lets us run big action pictures and layouts. It enables us to run more sports news, especially about school sports. And since Newsday isn't trucked out from the city, we can give you late Saturday night results. Saturday is a big day in sports. That's why sports is big in Sunday Newsday. Newsday, Long Island's own Sunday newspaper. No service charge for home delivery. But you know, uh, uh, are we almost at the station break time? One minute? Well, what do you mean one minute? How can you figure that? What, what, what is the rule on that? Two minutes before the half hour, two minutes on the other side. Yeah, who said? No, it doesn't. No, that's, that's a myth that has persisted in this business. It does not say that. It says one must make... Uh, a station break must be made uh, a minimum of times in an hour. They do not specify at what point. This is a myth. In fact, uh, how else do they do it on a ball game? They're not, uh, they, they, uh, it's just a, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have big clocks out there in half hour. And this, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with the rule, though, since, uh, since we have these little... I, ne I never argue with mythology, never. Uh, mythology is some people's reality. So this is WOR New York. Speaking of mythology and uh, reality, well, let's see. It's shoe town time. Shoe town, shoe town. Da, 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 da. <laughs> hey, they have a big sale on the famous Converse sneakers for youths, boys, and men, and you won't believe it. For only four forty-four a pair. Now these are really fine sneakers. If you know anything about sneakers, you know that Converse sneakers are one of the best sneakers. Are you a sneaker? <laughs> Converse sneakers, oh, that's a bad pun. But they're only four forty-four. Now, these are the ones with the sharp, contrasting stripe twi uh, trim. And they really are fine-looking sneakers. And they, they, you know, they're, 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 they're the sneaker of this year. Now, let's see. Uh, their sizes, 11 to 2 for youths, 2.5 to 6 for boys, 6.5 to 10.5 for men. But girls can pick them up, too. Now, this sale ends Saturday. So go to Shoe Town. Get these Converse sneakers while the price is hot. They're open Sundays for your convenience in Lakewood, Bricktown, and Tom's River. Sneakers. You got the money, honey. I got the time. We'll go honky talking there. We're going to have a time. We'll make all the night spots dance to the music fine. You got the money, honey. I got the time. College men. Are you the type of fella who's aiming high and wants to get there fast? 
Well, this is Lefty Frizzell telling you how to do it. At 1,800 miles an hour, that's how fast a Marine aviation officer gets where he's going. He's a man with the world at his feet. He trains at the best aviation school around, and he learns leadership at the same time. If flying with the finest is for you, then you want to be a Marine aviation officer. Ask your Marine representative how you go about it. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm becoming more convinced that many people feel that the people that they hear on and see on TV or hear on radio are more real to them than the people they know in their lives. You know, the actual people. I mean, <laughs> so who knows where myth and maybe it's true. So who's going to define what reality is? I'm not going to define your reality, you know. If you, if you find me more real than your Uncle Fred, well... It's true, then. I am. I am reality. <laughs> I, I, who am I to define it for you, you know? I, you'd have to define it for yourself. But uh, I, I can tell you one thing. This is WOR. No question about it. You can't, you can't will that away. This is WOR, and this is New York, or at least it was the last time I saw. I looked out. Now, it could very well be something else now, but it's New York at this minute. Because I said it is. <laughs> and that's enough. But, uh, you know, uh, this weekend scene, and uh, by the way, let's see. Oh, yeah. Hey, one, one thing I must point out uh, before we go any further. In just one week uh, here in New York, uh, well, actually, it's a week and a day, my TV show goes back on the air here on Channel 13. That's on PBS. So if you haven't uh, heard the news, it's, it's, uh, it's rerunning. The whole series is rerunning beginning uh, here in, in, in New York. It's on Saturdays at 7 o'clock. Uh, on Channel 13, but it's in a different time, I suppose, all around the country, different uh, different days. It's actually on Thursday on the network, so they are obviously delaying it till Saturday for uh, ulterior reasons of their own. <laughs> but, uh, you know, speaking of ulterior reasons, I, I will admit now, I might as well come right to the face of it, that, uh, and you know, a lot of people say, Shepard, why do you tell stories about when you were a kid? Now, they are under the impression that what I am doing is dealing in nostalgia. This is nothing could be further from the truth. Is a guy lying on the psychiatrist's couch telling uh, the, the analysts uh, about some fantastically, spectacularly bad thing that happened to him at the age of eight? Is he indulging in nostalgia? You better believe he ain't. And uh, under any, under no circumstances does Shepard feel that when he was a kid, things were better than they are now. I just want to get that very clearly stated. And uh, furthermore, he also wants to state categorically, he does not feel that being a child is the best of all possible worlds. He does not feel that when you were a child, things were better than they are now, nor did you feel better than you do now. In fact, the actual truth of it is you probably felt worse. <laughs> Most of the time. So uh, the only time Shepard will relate his story about when he is a child is because he is, he is delineating a moment, a, a, a moment of traumatic reality, which has created the, the world of the adult that is now in existence. Was that good or bad? It's neither. It's a fact. If one day you're nine and you're attacked by a shark, this will forever affect your attitude towards swimming. Now, if you tell the story about the time you were attacked by a shark when you were nine, are you telling a story about the good old days? 
Are you telling a story about nostalgia? I doubt it. <laughs> oh, you know, not so. Well, I'll tell you, uh, we are all victims of summer. We are all victims of weekends. I'm, caught, I'm using the term uh, metaphorically here, that you may have a weekend in the middle of uh, the week. But the, each man's uh, weekend is a, is a state of mind. It's a thing that he sees in his mind. That weekend. Now, the weekend means the moment when you can loosen the, the, the strings. And you can, uh, you can be other than yourself. You know that, you know that uh, one of the big phenomena down in the village, it's been going on for years, is the weekend hippie. You know what is it, the weekend hippie? Well, you see them all up and down 3rd Street and that. These are people who spend six days out of the week, or maybe five days out of the week, living in places like Darien, you know, dressing in nice little gray suits with the, with the neatly tied ties and these uh, pressed shirts and stuff. And uh, Saturday night, they show up down in the village, you know, they got the beads and the jazz all over the fridge, and they walk around, and they got buttons, and they yell stuff, and they holler fuzz at every cop they see, you know, the whole bit. See, <laughs> that's the weekend hippie. Well, you can tell. A weekend hippie is like any other temporary convert. He goes much further than the real thing. In other words, the genuine working hippie accepts the, his hippiedom. He accepts his, his, his place in society. He doesn't have to prove it. So he may even be sitting around in a place where they sell nature food. He may even wear a, uh, you know, he may even wear a Brooks Butter suit. He doesn't have to prove anything. You know? He is what he is. It's the guy that's got to prove something that goes completely ape. And, uh, you know, he runs up the flag and yells and hollers and, and the right stuff on the walls. So... Who's to say whose man's, what man's weekend is corroding another man's daily day? Well, I'm standing around one day. It's the weekend. Now, I want to tell you a story that I have never told. And that's, that's why every time I see this spot, you know, the one that comes on and shows the keys in the car, and the boy says, you are leaving temptation in the way of a beautiful, unsullied teenager. Yes, you are responsible for it. And that shows this kid getting and driving away. And, you know, next thing you know, he's in the slam and all that jazz. Well, you ready for this? I will concede. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put it up to you. Did I steal a car or didn't I? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, I, I'm not making a statement. I'm just going to say, did I steal a car or didn't I? All right, you want to hear what happened? Okay. It's a very hard question. <laughs> I've never yet quite resolved it. I, I, uh, see, the weekend is a big deal in, in a lot of people's lives. Now, the weekend was the biggest deal in my old man's life. He, I mean, he, the weekend, he, you know, that was his time. I mean, he, he really... You know, he'd do, it, he'd do it all on the weekend. You know, if he could go to six ball games, uh, you know, if he could, the whole thing, see. He would, the weekend was his time. Well, Friday night was generally the prelude to the weekend. Now, one Friday night, this terrible thing happened. And uh, I, I, uh, I'm just going to tell you exactly what happened. For at least a month, the old man had been planning this great weekend where we were going to go to the beach. And, uh, you know, he, he's going to take his six packs of beer 
and the, yeah, and Zudok was going to go along, Zudok and his kids and the whole scene. You know, a whole big, a big weekend. We were going to go there, and we were going to go and spend two days there. Yeah, the whole, the whole thing. He, he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, uh, he, he, he even had a place. He had made a reservation, see, at, at this, at this uh, motel. We were going to stay there the whole weekend. And he, this is a big thing with him. He was really planning this thing. Now, there were two things that were big in the old man's life. Well, actually, three in this order. His car, the weekend, and bowling in that order. We came somewhere down after the White Sox, uh, the family. And uh, the <laughs> that, was the, that was the way it went. See, this progression on down the line. So on this particular Friday night, the old man was bowling. Well, what had happened was that he and Gertz went in Gertz's car to bowl. And uh, I don't have to tell you, it left our car home sitting in the driveway. Well, this, this, this car was the old man's total pride and joy. And to get to use this car took me, any time I ever used the car, I was about, actually I was 16, it was, it was the year, in fact it was the year that I got my Indiana driver's license, you could get a license there at 16, see, and uh, that year, to get to use the car was like, uh, I would argue for maybe three days, and finally he'd say, all right, you'll be back at two, and you take the car now, it's uh, 1.30 now, you'll be back at two. And, you know, I'd get in the car and I'd drive it down to the park or, I would, you know, I'd drive it to the tennis court. It's all the time. You know the, the great feeling the first time you get to use the car, you know? Well, that car, every time I would see it in the driveway, I would feel this rising excitement. Now, uh, it was a Pontiac. And he kept that thing shined. I want to tell you, you could you could have just looked in the one of the doors, you know, and you could have shaved just using it as the mirror. He simonized. This guy used to, put, you know, he used to simonize to simonize on his car. It would, oh, you know, it would just sit out on the driveway, just gleam. And uh, you get into it, you know, and you had these seat covers. You could smell that, that uh, uh, the seat covers, and you could smell the oil. And the, the smell of a car can be a very exciting if you want to drive that car. It's a very sexual smell, really. The smell of that car. Well, it's Friday night. Got it? It is a beautiful Friday night. It is June. It's warm. You could smell the you could smell the the flowers, you could smell the lilacs and all that stuff out there, you know. And that's the moon is hanging. Oh yes, the fate is a moon. The phase of the moon has a lot to do with madness. And the the moon was hanging low, and I'm walking walking down the street with Schwartz. It's about seven o'clock at night, and I see Heine Gertz's car pull away from the front of the house. The windows are down, and in the front seat is Heine Gertz, my old man, and in the back seat is Zudok. They're going bowling in Gertz's car. Well, I knew Gertz's car. See, he had this, he had this green old. So he drives right past. The old man waves out the window. Oh, you got your... And we wave and yell. So we're walking along the street, me and Schwartz. The old man is going bowling. Now, you got it? So we walk down. Oh, boy, what a night. That beautiful, soft, warm summer night. And you could see faint, just very faint flashes of girls around you. You know what I mean? You see girls at twilight in the soft summer night. Just just a faint flash. You'd see a chick walking down the street over there, you know. Something about women, girls, soft summer air, moon, the whole bit. It, it, just, uh, it just it drives you mad. 
So we're walking along the street. We come in front of the house. We walk up the sidewalk. We sit on a porch. Me and Schwartz. It's Friday night. And I said to Schwartz, I wonder where Flick is. I said, I don't know. Didn't see him today. This warm air is just bathing us. I said, what do you say we go down to the... Let's go down to George's place. George, by the way, was the place where, like a candy store. It was a, kind of a, you know, they had pinball machines. See? You know what I mean. So I said, let's go down to George's place. And Schwartz says, you know, okay. He says, you got any money? Well, I had about 35 cents, see. And Schwartz had a quarter or something. So we wander on down to George's place. We walk into George's hot. George's little joint there. He's got these these uh, counters. You know, he's got these racks of magazines, these porny magazines and all the jazz, see. And he's got a couple of pinball machines. He had, some, he had this one great big pinball machine that we played, like, for 500 years called the Olympics. Uh, it was a pinball machine. It showed this guy jumping over a hurdle, see. <laughs> and it says the Olympics. And that uh, you were supposed to be playing these. E each hole was like a different event. It's a shot put. You win a, you know, you set an 800 foot record. Uh, high hurdles. You go run the mile. High hurdles mile or something like that in eight seconds. And they say, yeah. Well, we walk into George's joint, see. And hunched over the Olympics is Bolus and Flick. Now, Bolus was absolutely the, 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 he was, well, you probably, I can only say he was the Tom Seaver and the Ted Williams of the pinball machine. He did it both. Now, see, Williams was a hitter, right? Seavers is a pitcher. Well, nobody's ever accused uh, Williams of being a great pitcher. And no one has ever accused the Seavers of being other than, uh, he's a pretty good hitter for a pitcher. But he ain't Williams, right? Ted Williams, no. Bolus was both. Bolus could score fantastically, but on the other hand, he had the delicate touch of a of a born pool player, of a born billiards champ. He knew the tilt point of every machine within a hundred miles of where we were standing, and he would work like a snake behind it. I don't know, it was eerie. He could he could work that machine. I'll tell you, he could keep a ball coming down. You know, the ball goes ding ding ding, boing going, has these little things that hit the ball going all the way. He could keep one ball going for maybe 20, 30 minutes. It's incredible. Rack up 40,000, 150,000 points on one ball. Used to drive George right out of his bird. George had to pay, you know. Free games and all that stuff, see. So Bolas is hunched over the machine and Flick is standing there watching him. I walk in, which was a hot summer night, see. At the, somehow, I don't know, it was one of those nights, the pinball didn't do it. The game just didn't do it. We were we were all playing listlessly, and uh, I said to I said to Schwartz, Schwartz, uh, come on, let's go. And Flick looks up from the machine, and Flick says, uh, "Where are you going?" I said, "I don't know. We're just going out, you know." And Bolus, who by the way was a different type than us, Bolus was a dedicated pinball machine. He was, you know, he was a, he was a master. Uh, certain people are fanatics; you can't get them away. It's like a church fanatic. You get a, you can't get a church fanatic out of the church. Well, you couldn't get Bolus away from the machine when the heat was on him, you know. So uh, uh, the three of us walk out. Bolus is still hunched over the machine. So we get out in the street, and the, the three of us now are walking down the street. Me and Flick and Schwartz, and it's warm. You can see the girls around there, and. Finally, Schwartz says, "Hey, Flick, can you get your can you get your old man's car?" Well, it was obvious that, that Schwartz couldn't get his old man's car because Schwartz kept his 
garage, the Schwartz, the old man, kept his garage locked. We had about eight combination locks. He had padlocks. He had his own private police dog, which kept the family away from the car, you know, the whole bit. See, so Schwartz wasn't going to get the car. He wasn't about to. So he says to Flick, he says, can you get your old man's car? And Flick says, ah, no. I says, my mother and my old man, he went to the show. I don't know, you know. And it hit me. What's the matter with our car? The old man's balding. He won't be back before 11 o'clock. Why not take the car out? It's only about 8.30 now. Have it back by 10.30. You never know the difference. It just hit me. That little thing rang. I said uh, to Flick, I said, uh, you know, I might be able to get the old man's car. He says, we need a Pontiac? I says, yeah, because our Pontiac was legendary. I mean, it was a legendary car. Anytime the old man talked about the Pontiac, he lit up, you know, like a Christmas tree. See? So we walk casually down the street and we come to our house my house driveways going up and there between the houses sitting there in the gloom catching the moonlight was the pontiac now the three of us walked up the driveway so as not to you know we didn't want to go up through the house we didn't want my mother to know that we'd taken a car see so we walk up the driveway and i i, I look in the car and the keys ain't in there the old man never left his keys in the car, see. So, I know where he put them. He always left them on his dresser, next to his cufflinks. So I said uh, to Fleck and Schwartz, I says, listen, you guys wait here. So I casually go up the back steps and into the kitchen. And my mother is down in the basement doing something, see. It was one of those strokes. Now, see, I say to you, friends, crime takes a series of circumstances over which the criminal has no control. Now, had my mother been hanging around in the bedroom right next to my old man's dressing, you know, right next to his dresser, forget it, I wouldn't have got those keys, right? So actually, you can actually blame my mother for this, right? She was down in the basement. Well, she's down in the basement, see? And I can hear her holler, is that you? You know, I said, yeah, Ma, I'm just making a sandwich. Oh. So she goes about whatever she's doing. See, so I pretend like I'm opening the refrigerator. See, I open the refrigerator, I start banging stuff, and I quickly run around into the bedroom. And sure enough, on the dresser is the old man's keys. He had this little leather triangular-shaped key thing, you know, that you snap over. It's like a little leather, like a little leather uh, uh, wallet, see, with the key sticking out the top. So I grab the key, stick it in my jacket, turn off the light, run back out, Say, hey, Ma, listen, I'll be back, uh, I'll be back about 10.30 or so, Ma. I'm going over to Schwartz's, yeah. Uh, we're just going to mess around. Oh, I'll see you, Ma. So down the back steps I go. And Flick and Schwartz are out there in the shadows. So I get in the car. Flick and Schwartz climb in on the other side, see. Now, if I had turned the motor on and made the sound that it would make, we'd have tipped the gaff. So, I simply let the car out of gear. Now, we're sitting on the driveway, see? We start rolling backwards, see? We roll back real soft down into the gloom. The car backs out. The law of gravity. We back out into the street, see? So, I turn the key. Oh, man. She just went out. Oh, just, you know, just as smooth. And so, off we went. 
we went driving off down the street under the catalpa trees. And you know, that fantastic, uh, that the ecstasy. Well, two things were going. One, we had the car. It was Saturday night. It was the weekend. The heat was on us. We were all three of us in heat, no question about it. Uh, it was, everything was coming together. And more importantly, it was illegal. We had taken the old man's car. You know the excitement of the illegal? So we go driving down the street. See, now, the, we, had a, we had a hobby. I, I, I suspect all males go through this period. It is a hobby of riding your car around and looking out of the window and yelling at checks, right? Uh, <laughs> it even had a name in our neighborhood. It's called Scraggin'. Uh, you would ride around, see, and they, you'd see these three or four, and we always went to this, this, there was one section of town that reputedly had the most beautiful, fantastic girls of all, see, and it was in this little town right next to our town, these, all these suburbs came together, see, so we drive over to East Chicago, and we're driving, and oh, we see these girls walking around, and so Flake is yelling, hey, oh, you baby, oh, wow, and I'd step on it, say, we, we had a great night scragging, it was a terrific night. We were scragging up a storm, see. We were scragging for about uh, two hours, you know, excited. We stopped and got cheeseburgers, hamburgers, the whole bit. Uh, we we went over to the to the Red Rooster. And we got ourselves a couple of black cows and came out with the cheeseburgers, driving around, see, having a great time. Well, you know, it's Saturday night, see. Everything is working. We go down to the we go down to the Big Boy Drive-in. You know, that was the biggest thing in the in, in town. You know, it was to go to the Big Boy Drive-in. You got the car, you know, you drive in. And they had these chicks that were dressed like, uh, well, they looked like Minnie Mouse. They had mouse ears, actually. You know, like uh, like the Mouseketeers? They were the car hops. And they'd come out, you know. We were buying, we were buying foot-long hot dogs, which is what they sold. They had foot-long hot dogs would come with a little American flag on them. So uh, I don't know why we bought it, but we did, see. They were made out of rubber to hot dogs. So we're, we're hanging around down there at the drive-in and eating the foot-long hot dogs. And the little realizing, of course, at the time, that approaching out of the darkness, like the disastrous night that the Titanic went down, approaching out of the darkness was an iceberg. Unsung. No whistles blowing on it. Nothing to give us a clue that fate was approaching. And this is the way fate always is. The things that really get you never warn you. And so we finish with the foot-long hot dogs. It's about 25 after 10. I figure we're beginning to push it a little bit. The old man usually got home about 11 o'clock from bowling. I says, let's go, Schwartz. He says, okay. So we, we're drinking the last of our root beer. We're driving along. And we come to a stoplight. Now, where were we? Well, there was a section of town <laughs> in East Chicago where I can only tell you this. Every activity, every known activity was on the other side of the law. As a matter of fact, that section of town was uh, continually being cleaned up by every politician. that got He promised to clean this section up. Never did. In fact, this section had more places. In fact, uh, from block to block were nothing but places called euphemistically in the press uh, houses of ill fame. You follow what it is. They didn't exactly have a McDonald's in that neighborhood. So we, we you know, we're driving home. So you had to go through this part to get back to home. See? So I pull up to the light and I sit there very legally. See, I'm sitting there waiting at the light. Everything is calm. And then we're down on the last of our root beer. We're drinking a root beer and saying, and, uh, oh, gee, what a great night. When all of a sudden it hit. Out of the blue. Boom! 
For one brief instant, I thought we'd been hit by lightning. What I didn't realize, of course, was that it was God's finger had pointed at us. We had been hit by the hammer of justice. Just boom! I felt the car leap forward. And then it seemed like at least 15 minutes I could hear nothing but the sound of glass falling from a great height. And I looked down, I see Schwartz is on the floor. <laughs> Flick, it was wild. Flick's head is under the dashboard. I don't know how he ever got that way. And his feet are sticking up over the back of the seat. And I'm hanging over the steering wheel. And the, and the windshield is about eight millimeters from my nose. And I hear things trickling. Oh, my God, no. And sure enough, I get out of the car. Schwartz staggers out of the car. Flick has got a knob on the top of his head about the size of a chicken egg. Some guy in a pickup truck, some guy drunker than a, you know, drunker than a coot, has just come barreling up without even slowing up, and he has clobbered. I want to tell you, our trunk was almost in the front seat. Oh, my God, what now? And there I stood. The first thing that hit me was the terror, one, of the car. And the next thing was justice. Justice. It would be sure what to do. Well, we stood there for a couple of minutes. Cop came over. Just give me your license. I whip out my license. He says, uh, where's the registration of the car? in the glove compartment. He goes and gets it out. He says, is this your car? Uh, I said, no. He says, who does it belong to? He says, it belongs to my father. He says, does he know you've got this car? <laughs> uh, well, uh, he says, all right, hold on. He goes back into the squad car and makes a call over the radio. How they got my old man in the bowling alley, I don't know. All I know is that ever since that time, I've been nervous about watching Adam 12. Oh, that radio's mean. It seems like milliseconds later, Zudok's car arrives. And in the front seat, his eyeballs red, staring like twin searchlights of doom, is the old man. He gets out. He looks at the Pontiac. He looks at the neighborhood. And there's Schwartz and Flick cringing near the back fender, which is now up where, somewhere near the left front wheel. He looks at me. He says, what the hell happened? And the cop says, the drunk clobbered him. He looks me long and hard in the eye, and he says, don't tell your mother. I'll take care of it. We never mentioned it again. He told my mother the next morning that he had taken the car down to get the transmission fixed or something. The old man never mentioned it. Did I steal that car or didn't I? Or was it fate? This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news.